2: Welcome again to the Explaining History podcast, and we're, we're looking, as we often do, at Sheila Fitzpatrick's Everyday Stalinism this evening. And there is a, a particularly interesting chapter in the book um, which talks about how ordinary Soviet citizens were able to write to government ministers, to Stalin himself, and to other organs of the state and how their letters were catalogued, uh, and how often their their grievances were um, uh, recorded. Um, This is an aspect of totalitarian society that often gets overlooked with with really popular engagement with uh, totalitarianism. In um, Christopher Duggan's uh, brilliant book, uh, Fascist Voices, um the uh, fascist um voters and supporters of uh mussolini um would frequently write to the duce and um uh write to him with kind of requests sometimes trivial sometimes important um their hopes and fears their points of view their ideas Uh, And it tells us, firstly, that these letters were, if not welcomed, then uh, accepted, um, and that people very often knew quite um, clearly what their relationship with a totalitarian state was. Um, In in the case of the, the, the Stalinist state, being able to talk back to power um, actually helps to comprise part of, of what we call the, the Surveillance Society. So, Sheila Fitzpatrick writes, As we've seen, Soviet surveillance of the popular mood had its consultative aspect in the forms of public discussions, election meetings, and authorities' willingness to accept individual complaints and petitions. But all these public consultative forums were constrained to varying degrees uh, and to varying degrees unsatisfactory satisfactory to both sides, the watches and the watched. Knowing that the regime might punish somebody who said the wrong thing in public, citizens preferred to discuss public affairs outside these forums and in different ways from the official prescribed one. Suspecting that citizens were unlikely to say what they really thought in public, the authorities, in particular the NKVD, sought to extend their surveillance to citizens off-the-record discussions, those that were outside the range of state surveillance. This meant attempting to monitor not only conversations in private homes and private correspondence, but also anonymous and subversive public communications like jokes, songs, rumours, verbal outbursts against the regime, and abusive letters to the authorities. Much as with um, the uh, the Nazi state, public opinion was of paramount importance to um, the Stalin- the Stalinist uh, state. It's assumed wrongly that uh, dictators of the 20th century have cared little for public opinion, knowing that they are able to uh, crush uh, signs of dissent and use terror and armed force. Well, terror and armed force are used when necessary, when all other methods um, expire. When all other methods are um, deemed to be um, uh, useless, but but by and large, dictators um, uh, such as Hitler and Stalin had quite a were, were highly conscious of public opinion, and viewed that they ruled with a high degree of public consent. Which, to some extent, that can be said to to be to be true. Um, Anonymous public exchanges um, that occurred in places in public places like queues or in railroad compartments in markets or in the kitchens of communal apartments were the hardest kind of um, verbal sort of exchange of ideas information beliefs and that sort of thing for historians to really sink their, their teeth into uh, Soviet ethnographers um, would collect chastushki. Um, which were uh, songs on topical subjects, uh, which were not often set to well known melodies, and that people would kind of improvise and add to, and add verses to, and, and new words to, uh, 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 and that kind of thing. But during the 1930s, it obviously made it impossible to publish uh, anyth- any of that, that kind of material. So we have to rely mainly on um, the ethnography of the NKVD, um, which was uh, the uh, information and inferences collected by um, secret policemen um, listening in queues in um, uh, public places to what was being said. Um, how useful that is as a source is is, is questionable, um, because these were um, uh, the only thing that you could record. Really, was the there was the information that a stranger would hear. Uh, the kinds of things that might be said more intimately are, um, uh, are, are perhaps beyond our ability to know. So yes, these sorts of uh, information came from listening to cues in markets. Writing down jokes and rumors uh, and uh, Russian popular memory, which is good um, for jokes right shit Fitzpatrick even at even at half a century's remove, but less good for other forms of anonymous public communication so uh, it should be remembered that the um, uh, NKVD ethnographers um, that uh, when they were trying to hear, you know, a particularly good subversive joke or rumor, um, they would also have the role of arresting the person who told the joke. Um, so that made people extremely wary. One of the paradoxes of um, a repressive society like the Soviet Union is that the information. And this goes the same for Nazi Germany. The information that the regime desperately wanted to hear and wanted to know, uh, views and attitudes, was very, very carefully guarded, with people knowing precisely what might happen to them if they weren't careful. So Sheila Fitzpatrick writes Rumours disseminate information, or alleged information, on public matters to those who hunger for it, but they also express popular hopes and fears. Um, an attempt to explain puzzling events. Thus, Soviet rumours in the 1930s constantly dwelt on the imminence of war, which was feared by many and hoped for by some. They brought news of popular, uh, popularly desirable policy changes like amnesties uh, and religious toleration. They spoke threateningly of the Bartholomew's Day Massacres uh, that were imminent if food shortages continued. They, all, they, they offered various explanations to Kirov's murder, including um, an ingenious one that's implied a causal link based on chronological conjecture between the murder and the indignation of working folk at the abolition of rationing. So much as with our our own time, where um, rumour, conjecture, um, fantasy and conspiracy theory are bundled up and disseminated uh, across social media and greatly kind of accelerated by the power of social media. Societies like the Soviet Union, which were secretive and were conspiratorial societies, um, had their own kind of subculture of rumour and conjecture and conspiracy theory. Um, And again... Um, conspiracy theories that exist in societies that are highly conspiratorial um, doesn't necessarily make the conspiracy theory correct, but it, uh, it goes some way to explaining why people who are starved of uh, open information uh, and accurate and um, um, transparent uh, information um, find narratives like conspiracy theories able to slot in 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 the middle. It's interesting that Sheila Fitzpatrick discusses the the rumours of war. Um, In Stephen Kotkin's um, first volume, uh, The Paradoxes of Power, the first volume of his biography of Stalin, um, most of the period of time from 1924 to 1928, when the study ends, you know, moving on to its, its sequel... Stalin is obsessed by the possibility of invasion. Partly, this is to do with the kind of um, the the ideological worldview of the revolution that bourgeois uh, societies, bourgeois nations, will ultimately try to overthrow the revolution as a kind of a historical inevitability. This is, you know, a, a Marxist and Leninist prediction, and. Um, and and um, stalin perceives uh, world events from uh, great britain to china uh, as having greater significance than perhaps they they did um and the threat of future invasion uh, makes for a kind of a, a febrile and tormented uh, and suspicious and paranoid uh, political culture within the Soviet Union, which preempts itself towards state repression and eventually terror, Stalin essentially looks overseas and says, "Right, we have a decade maybe to get ready for the great capitalist onslaught. We are going to have to get rid of the enemies within um, and because they are the first ones, the most dangerous ones, who will help the enemy when eventually that that occurs." So one diarist of the, the 1930s uh, uh, argued that a majority of the jokes um, that one could hear in the Soviet Union were about politics, un- unsurprisingly. Um, the famous Harvard project, where um, it was um, possible for one time only for really American researchers to get their hands on um, some really deep um, um, social research into uh, the, the the Soviet Union, had a uh, one of the respondents um, arguing or stating that they highly valued the rumours that they heard. They saw rumours as being very useful bits of information, and that tells us, perhaps in this instance, perhaps in in, in others, that. Um, People were listening for um, rumours, um, for um, announcements, for uh, major political events. This individual remembered rumours about new laws, imminent arrests. Some big man would be imprisoned, and it would not be in the newspapers, but people knew it. Price rises and food shortages. They would say that soon there would be uh, there would not be any sugar or bread, um, and this is how usually it happened. Uh, the rumours were justified, but others, um, were, uh, other of the respondents were less confident on the reliability of rumours. One reported rumours of the early 1940s that collective farms would be abolished after the war and bells rung in churches suggesting the NKVD agents themselves pass these rumours out because they knew people liked to hear them. Um, another recalled that there were many false rumours, especially during the Great Purges. For example...
0: Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365 day returns.
1: Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
2: So there's lots of fascinating stuff here. You could think of rumors as being... Um, a rather chaotic channel of discourse a means by which people um, acquire information not all of it particularly accurate Um, it might be that there were certain um, Soviet citizens who looked on uh, rumours as being more reliable than uh, the Soviet press itself or some Soviet citizens who uh, consumed uh, rumours as a way of their own kind of social connection uh, and their um ability to to relate to um to one another often um soviet citizens would tire of the repetitive nature of soviet propaganda um terminologies uh, such as life has become better comrades um, or uh, catch up and overtake the West these uh, slogans that were often heard within in the Soviet press uh, and they would sometimes um, uh, take these and uh, turn them into in, into jokes um, a frequent one was to catch up and overtake the west uh, was the uh, the witticism when we catch up the capitalist countries can we stay there for example. Um, Sheila Fitzpatrick writes, Acronyms and initials, another favourite of Soviet officialdom, were the occasion for many jokes, usually during variant readings. The initials of the Communist Party in the 1930s, VKP, were read read by peasant wits to stand for Second Second Serfdom, uh, Vittorio Kroposnio Pravo. Um, which, uh, in uh, while in the reading of some uh, Leningrad youths, the initials of the USSR um, uh, itself, SSR or CCCP, in Russian became, became um, Stalin's death will save Russia. Smiet Stalina spaset Rossio. There was also a, 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 a hidden and subversive typesetting that happened in Russian magazines Uh, And newspapers, Um, uh, sometimes it was honest errors, sometimes it was practical jokes, uh, uh, other times it was political statements. Um, Despite there being harsh punishment for um, uh, such actions, the censors had to look out for small changes in the text of newspapers, brochures and books that could have been typographical errors but played havoc with the, the, um, the sense of meaning. Um, liquidation of illiteracy, which was a favourite slogan, somehow became liquidation of food in one provisional newspaper. In another paper, portraits of Politburo members appeared in unfortunate proximity to a story on economic statistics entitled Heads of Cattle in the USSR. Um, there were some place names honouring uh, leaders like Kirovgrad and Stalingrad were transmuted into Gad and Stalingrad. Um, grad, for example, means city, Gad means scoundrel or crook. One area for um, ridicule and uh, verbal abuse were the Stakhanovites, the generation of model workers um, in the uh, USSR who had uh, been recognised by the state for their uh, epic and gargantuan feats in the workplace uh um, breaking um quotas and, and, and work norms and and that kind of thing. Um, uh they were often viewed as the, the kind of the, the teachers' pets um or, or of the regime um and were the butt of many jokes. Uh one saying, What are they giving out? asked a deaf lady joining a queue. A slap in the face, someone replies. To everyone or just the stachanobites? Yeah, you know, I suppose you have to be there really. Um but that gives you a, a flavour of kind of how the Calivites were viewed. Um, in some circles, they were um, they were revered as heroes of labour, but very often this kind of rather crash propagandising by the authorities meant that there would be be resentments, and that um, people who were so closely associated with um, the uh, trying to set an, an example in a workplace that is largely oppressive and unattractive um, were uh, only ever going to really uh, generate a degree of respect and a degree of ridicule. Another joke concerns awarding the prizes uh, to the Hanavite milkmaids. Uh, in a formal ceremony, uh, the milkmaid gets a radio receiver, the second a gramophone and the third a bicycle. And then comes the fourth, the leading pig tender of the Kolkhoz, the collective farm, um, to whom with much emotion the Kolkhoz director prevents the complete works of our beloved comrade Stalin. There is awed silence, and a voice is heard from the back, just what the bitch deserves. And there were also jokes about the terror. Um, one joke reads In 1937, at night, there is a knock on the door. A husband goes to answer. He returns and says, Don't worry, dear, it's bandits who've come to rob us. Or in another joke, one person asks to another in prison, What are you in for? For being talkative. I told some jokes. And you? For laziness. I heard a joke and thought, I'll tell them tomorrow, but a comrade didn't waste time. One thing that appears to be uh, abundantly clear that uh, despite state repression and censorship and uh, surveillance and terror, there was nothing that the authorities could do um, in order to prevent outpourings of individual or collective public anger. Um, poor housing, food shortages, the possibility of war in the future, and the the general... Um, Disgust and dislike at a state which was seen as um, taking care of a small bureaucratic elite uh, riven with um, uh, corruption and managerialism. Um, there was uh, inevitably going to be public outpourings of anger. And Sheila Fitzpatrick writes, "One real life, one real life outburst was reported from a village meeting on the perennial favourite topic." of Soviet propagandists, the international situation and the danger of war. One member of the audience who had heard all uh, all of this once too often jumped up from his place and cried out, shaking with anger, to hell with this kind of life. Let there be war. The sooner the better. I'll be the first to go. A similar outburst was triggered at a factory discussion on the new constitution uh, by mention of Stalin's life has become better slogan. When discussion turned to the fact that life has become better, life has become more cheerful, one worker threw the brochure of the draft constitution on the floor and began to trample it with his feet, shouting, "To hell with your constitution! It has given me nothing. I am going hungry. My whole family is going hungry. I have begun to live the worse. It was better than before. it was better before." Anonymous letters to the authorities often contained abuse and invective against the regime um, expressing the same pent of anger um, because anonymity was a better cloak than uh, than um, drunkenness which was uh, often uh, how the regime explained away people's kind of anger or, or, or abuse um, writing these letters was not risk free um, it was... Um, entirely possible the NKVD could trace the authors, and and often did do. Um, The writers were clearly aware of this, and so some anonymous letters contained challenges to the NKVD to identify their authors. Uh, Some anonymous letters contained outright threats as to uh, when the Committee for the Salvation of the People, um, a a homemade organisation, or Zhdanov, that he and the other leaders had better watch out or they would get this they go the same way as Kirov um, or when uh, an anonymous individual warned that if prices were not lowered the rest of the leaders would share Kirov's fate um, it's clear that kind of the, the the issue of the murder of Kirov keeps coming up again and again in, in the popular uh, Soviet psyche um, uh, and the uh, assassination of Kirov had the same effect on the Soviet Union and perhaps the assassination of Kennedy had in America during the uh, the, the 1960s. Um, In commonplace in many of these letters were uh, ethnic slurs, often anti-Semitic ones, uh, and uh, expressions of popular prejudices uh, that ran deep in uh, Russian society. Um, And they uh, often... Uh, would state in these letters to Soviet leaders and to Soviet politicians that, for example, the Jews or Georgians or Armenians or uh, other ethnic minorities, Poles, Germans, uh, were now running the country. One anonymous letter to Pravda began, We, unfortunate citizens of a Jewish uh, Armenian country, and the letter um, went on to protest, the closings of churches, blaming this on some sort of imagined anti-Semitic conspiracy theory, um, the Russian Revolution, much as sort of the the, the Nazis had uh, looked upon uh, this sort of myth of Judeo Bolshevism, there were people in Russia who uh, believed it as well. They believed that the Russian Revolution had been run by the Jews, said one author. Um, and the Jews were trying to take over the world. Who needs internationalism? Only Jews. Um, authors of anonymous letters, writes Judith Fitzpatrick, accused the regime of being dominated by Jews, and its non-Jewish members, like Stalin and Kirov, of selling out to the Jews. Stalin's nationality did not escape attention. One anonymous letter uh, mocked him as the Caucasian Prince Stalin. One writer expressed his anti-Semitic sentiments in verse calling on the, leader, the the reader to remember that the USSR was a country without rights and without law, of innocent victims and brazen slaughterers, a country where the slave and the spy reign, and Jews triumph over the holiness of the idea. Um, so there was um, a subversive, sometimes bigoted, sometimes resentful, sometimes... Um, playful and mischievous um, culture um, of jokes, of letters, of slogans. And these are the ways in which ordinary people navigate these extraordinary events, um, these extraordinary impositions upon their uh, personal lives and uh, ambitions and hopes and freedoms and fears and desires. And how ordinary people navigated this new revolutionary society and state, which had largely been imposed upon them. Anyway, I hope you found that useful, uh, and I'll be back with you next week for another podcast. Uh, do remember, if you can support us, to go to our Patreon page. Right, Finally, explaining history on Patreon, uh, as we do benefit from the the generosity of our patrons, uh, and. Um, Come and check us out in the Explaining History Facebook group. Thanks very much. All the best. Bye bye.